STORY ONE OF IN A STEAMER CHAIR AND OTHER STORIES BY ROBERT BARR THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN IN A STEAMER CHAIR PART SIX SIXTH DAY IN THE VAGUE HOPE OF MEETING MISS EARLE, MORRIS ROSE EARLY AND FOR A WHILE PACED THE DECK ALONE, BUT SHE DID NOT APPEAR. NEITHER DID HE HAVE THE PLEASURE OF HER COMPANY AT BREAKFAST. The more the young man thought of their interview of the previous evening, the more puzzled he was. Miss Earle had frankly confessed that she thought a great deal of him, and yet she had treated him with an unfeelingness which left him sore and bitter. She might have refused him, that was her right, of course, but she need not have done it so sarcastically. He walked the deck after breakfast, but saw nothing of Miss Earle. As he paced up and down, he met the very person of all others whom he did not wish to meet. Uh, "'Good morning, Mr. Morris,' she said lightly, holding out her hand. "'Good morning,' he answered, taking it without much warmth. "'You are walking the deck all alone, I see. May I accompany you?' "'Certainly,' said the young man, and with that she put her hand on his arm and they walked together the first two rounds without saying anything to each other. Then she looked up at him with a bright smile and said, So, she refused you. How do you know? answered the young man, reddening and turning a quick look at her. How do I know? laughed the other. How should I know? For a moment it flashed across his mind that Miss Catherine Earle had spoken of their interview of last night but a moment later he dismissed the suspicion as unworthy. "'How do you know?' he repeated. "'Because I was told so on very good authority. I don't believe it.' "'Ha, ha, ha! Now you are very rude. It is very rude to say to a lady that she doesn't speak the truth.' "'Well, rude or not, you are not speaking the truth. Nobody told you such a thing.' "'My dear George, how impolite you are!' What a perfect bear you have grown to be! Do you want to know who told me? I don't care to know anything about it. Well, nevertheless, I shall tell you. You told me. I did? Nonsense! I never said anything about it. Yes, you did. Your walk showed it. The dejected look showed it. And when I spoke to you, your actions, your tone, and your words told it to me plainer than if you had said, I proposed to Miss Earle last night and I was rejected. You poor dear innocent, if you don't brighten up, you will tell all to the whole ship. I am sure, Blanche, that I am very much obliged to you for the interest you take in me. Very much obliged indeed. Oh, no, you are not, and now don't try to be sarcastic. It really doesn't suit your manner at all. I was very anxious to know how your little flirtation had turned out. I really was. You know I have an interest in you, George, and always will have, and I wouldn't like that spiteful little black-haired minx to have got you, and I am very glad she refused you, although why she did so I cannot for the life of me imagine." It must be hard for you to comprehend why she refused me, now that I am a partner in the firm. Blanche looked down upon the deck, and did not answer. 
I am glad, she said finally, looking up brightly at him with her innocent blue eyes, that you did not put off your proposal until tonight. We expect to be in Queenstown tonight, sometime, and we leave there to go on through by the lakes of Killarney. So, you see, if you hadn't proposed last night, I should have known nothing at all about how the matter turned out and I should have died of curiosity and anxiety to know. "'Oh, I would have written to you,' said Morris. "'Leave me your address now, and I'll write and let you know how it turns out.' "'Oh,' she cried quickly, "'then it isn't ended yet. I didn't think you were a man who would need to be refused twice or thrice.' "'I should be glad to be refused by Miss Earle five hundred times.' Indeed? Yes, five hundred times, if on the five hundredth and first time she accepted. Is it really so serious as that? It is just exactly that serious. Then your talk to me, after all, was only pretense. No, only a mistake. What an escape I have had! You have indeed. Ah, here comes Miss Earle. Really, for a lady who has rejected a gentleman, she does not look as supremely happy as she might. I must go and have a talk with her. Look here, Blanche, cried the young man angrily. If you say a word to her about what we have been speaking of, I'll— What will you do? said the young lady sweetly. Morris stood looking at her. He didn't himself know what he would do, and Blanche, bowing to him, walked along the deck and sat down in the steamer-chair beside Miss Earle, who gave her a very scant recognition. "'Now you needn't be so cool and dignified,' said the lady. "'George and I have been talking over the matter, and I told him he wasn't to feel discouraged at a first refusal, if he is resolved to have a shop-girl for his wife.' "'What? Mr. Morris and you have been discussing me, have you?' Is there anything forbidden in that, Miss Earle? You must remember that George and I are very, very old friends, old and dear friends. Did you refuse him on my account? I know you like him. Like him, said Miss Earle, with a fierce light in her eyes, as she looked at her tormentor. Yes, I like him, and I'll tell you more than that. She bent over and added in an intense whisper, I love him and if you say another word to me about him, or if you dare to discuss me with him, I shall go up to him where he stands now and accept him. I shall say to him, George Morris, I love you. Now, if you doubt I shall do that, just continue in your present style of conversation. Blanche leaned back in the steamer chair and turned a trifle pale. Then she laughed, that irritating little laugh of hers, and said, Really, I did not think it had gone so far as that. I'll bid you good morning. The moment the chair was vacated, George Morris strolled up and sat down in it. What has that vixen been saying to you? he asked. That vixen, said Miss Earle quietly, has been telling me that you and she were discussing me this morning, and discussing the conversation that took place last night. It is a lie said Morris. What is? What I say, or what she said, or what she says you said? 
that we were discussing you or discussing our conversation is not true. Forgive me for using the coarser word. This was how it was. She came up to me. My dear Mr. Morris, don't say a word. I know well enough that you would not discuss the matter with anybody. I, perhaps, may go so far as to say, least of all, with her. Still, Mr. Morris, you must remember this, that even if you do not like her now— Like her! cried Morris. I hate her! As I was going to say—and it is very hard for me to say it, Mr. Morris—you have a duty towards her as you— We all have our duties to perform, said Miss Earle with a broken voice. You must do yours, and I must do mine. It may be hard, but it is settled. I cannot talk this morning. Excuse me. And she rose and left him sitting there. What in the world does the girl mean? I am glad that witch gets off at Queenstown. I believe it is she who has mixed everything up. I wish I knew what she has been saying. Miss Earle kept very closely to her room that day, and in the evening, as they approached the fastnet light, George Morris was not able to find her to tell her of the fact that they had sighted land. He took the liberty, however, of scribbling a little note to her, which the stewardess promised to deliver. He waited around the foot of the companionway for an answer. The answer came in the person of Miss Catherine herself. If refusing a man was any satisfaction, it seemed as if Miss Catherine Earle had obtained very little gratification from it. She looked weary and sad as she took the young man's arm, and her smile, as she looked up at him, had something very pathetic in it, as if a word might bring the tears. They sat in the chairs and watched the Irish coast. Morris pointed out objects here and there, and told her what they were. At last, when they went down to supper together, he said, "'We will be at Queenstown some time to-night. It will be quite a curious sight in the moonlight. Wouldn't you like to stay up and see it?' "'I think I would,' she answered. "'I take so few ocean voyages that I wish to get all the nautical experience possible.' The young man looked at her sharply. Then he said, well, the stop at Queenstown is one of the experiences. May I send the steward to rap at your door when the engine stops? Oh, I shall stay up in the saloon until that time. It may be a little late. It may be late as one or two o'clock in the morning. We can't tell. I should think the best thing for you to do would be to take a rest until the time comes. I think, Miss Earle, you need it. It was a little after twelve o'clock when the engine stopped. The saloon was dimly lighted, and porters were hurrying to and fro, getting up the baggage which belonged to those who were going to get off at Queenstown. The night was very still and rather cold. The lights of Queenstown could be seen here and there along the semicircular range of hills on which the town stood. Passengers who were to land stood around the deck well muffled up, and others who had come to bid them good-bye were talking sleepily with them. Morris was about to send the steward to Miss Earle's room when that young lady herself appeared. There was something spirit-like about her, 
wrapped in her long cloak as she walked through the half-darkness to meet George Morris. "'I was just going to send for you,' he said. Oh, "'I did not sleep any,' was the answer, and the moment the engine stopped I knew we were there. "'Shall we go on deck?' "'Yes,' he said, "'but come away from the crowd.' And with that he led her towards the stern of the boat. For a moment Miss Earle seemed to hold back, but finally she walked along by his side firmly to where they had stood the night before. With seeming intention, Morris tried to take his place beside her, but Miss Earle, quietly folding her cloak around her, stood on the opposite side of the flagpole, and, as if there should be no forgetfulness on his part, she reached up her hand and laid it against the staff. She evidently meant what she said, thought Morris to himself with a sigh, as he watched the low, dim outlines of the hills around Queenstown Harbor and the twinkling lights here and there. That is the tender coming now, he said, pointing to the red and green lights of the approaching boat. How small it looks beside our monster steamship! Miss Earle shivered. I pity the poor folks who have to get off at this hour of the night and go ashore. I should a great deal rather go back to my stateroom. Well, there is one passenger I am not sorry for, said Morris, and that is the young woman who has, I am afraid, been saying something to you which has made you deal more harshly with me than perhaps you might otherwise have done. I wish you would tell me what she said. She has said nothing, murmured Miss Earle with a sigh, but what you yourself have confirmed. I do not pay much attention to what she says. Well, you won't pay much attention to what I say either, he replied. However, as I say, there is one person I am not sorry for. I even wish it were raining. I am very revengeful, you see. I do not know that I am very sorry for her myself, replied Miss Earle frankly, but I am sorry for her poor father, who hasn't appeared in the saloon a single day except the first. He has been sick the entire voyage. Her father? cried Morris, with a rising inflection in his voice. Certainly. Why, bless my soul, her father has been dead for ages and ages. Then who is the old man she is with? Old man? It would do me good to have her hear you call him the old man. Why, that is her husband. Her husband, echoed Miss Earle with wide-open eyes. I thought he was her father. Oh, not at all. It is true, as you know, that I was engaged to the young lady, and I presume if I had become a partner in our firm sooner, we would have been married. But that was a longer time coming than suited my young lady's convenience, and so she threw me over with as little ceremony as you would toss a penny to a beggar, and she married this old man for his wealth, I presume. I don't see exactly why she should take a fancy to him otherwise. I felt very cut up about it, of course and I thought if I took this voyage I would at least be rid for a while of the thought of her. They are now on their wedding trip. That is the reason your steamer chair was broken, Miss Earle. 
Here I came on board an ocean steamer to get rid of the sight or thought of a certain woman, and to find that I was pinned up with that woman, even if her aged husband was with her, for eight or nine days, was too much for me. So I raced up the deck and tried to get ashore. I didn't succeed in that, but I did succeed in breaking your chair." Miss Earle was evidently very much astonished at this revelation, but she said nothing. After waiting in vain for her to speak, Morris gazed off at the dim shore. When he looked around, he noticed that Miss Earle was standing on his side of the flagstaff. There was no longer a barrier between them. End of Story 1 Part 6